There we go. Hi, everyone. This is Faye from Face World Media, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you and my new friend, Rosemary Ravenel. And thank you so much, Rosemary, for joining me today from Florida. I am thrilled. I'm thrilled. I wish you were here with me in person. Me too. Me too. And uh, I really look forward to this for a variety of reasons. But for those of you who are not as familiar with Rosemary's work, I want to give you a brief intro. And I really want today's discussion to serve you guys. So if you have any questions, please let us know in the comments wherever you're watching this. And if you're listening to this on a podcast network afterward, feel free to comment as well. So Rosemary Ravenel is a public speaker and executive speaker, a speaker coach who overcame decades of stuttering and now use her disfluency as a metaphor for habits and mindsets that get in the way of other people fulfilling their fullest potential when they speak. Rosemary is a former international media executive and broadcaster on a mission to slay the dragons of bad communications and promote clear, concise, and honest communication that lifts the human spirit and unites people everywhere. And I have to say that I, I really look forward to this because some of you guys know that I'm also bilingual and I came to this country not when I was a baby, but I was 17 years old, get dropped into that, you know, 12th grade private school setting, and then went to school in Boston at Northeastern. And even then after that, to be honest, Rosemary, I, I so look forward to this because I remember the beginning years of me working as a consultant. I mean, young consultant, talking to clients, looking around. I mean, at the time and around like 2006, seven, there were very few people who looked like me, sounded like me, who were playing in a consulting role. So I frankly felt really intimidated and I had to hide it all the time, which was quite exhausting. So with all that said, for people who are watching this, there's many, many reasons why I'm glad you're here. Um, but let's get started <laughs> with today's Good. discussion. I am excited too. So uh, I, there's just so much to say about this topic of, of, of good, clear communication that unites people, mm -hmm. right? We're at a, at a point in time, we're at a crossroads where I think we are dangerously heading towards the precipice where we're not even listening to each other properly. Mm -hmm. And it seems simple, but you know, we talk so much every day, but do we really understand? Do we really communicate? There is just so much chatter. And do, how does that resonate? How does that leave us more enlightened, uh, more informed, more connected, more in touch with our humanity. Mm. Yeah, I, I love what you're bringing up because frankly, your teaching not only applies to on stage, very serious settings, TED Talks, but I do see that, like you said, Rosemary, in everyday communication, I think we misunderstand each other all the time, whether it's at work, at home, with people who are familiar with, people we're meeting for the first time. So what are some of the things that people who are new to this, thinking about this for the first time, what are some of the things they should think about and the mistakes, common mistakes that people do make? Yes. You know, I, I use the, the phrase, you know, slay the dragons of bad communication because the dragons are all of those self-imposed obstacles, uh, our phobias. We can talk all length, at length about fear, but I don't want to dwell too much on that, although it is an important dragon that keeps us from really connecting. Uh, all of those things about uh, the dragons can be our sense of self-worth, uh, the belief that we are introverts and therefore introverts are not necessarily loquacious or able to articulate their ideas, wrong, or the way that we have imposter syndrome, 
something that affects more women than men. And by believing that we're not really qualified to speak, to share our ideas or to impose or to be forceful in our point of view, that holds us back from communicating effectively. So there's all these dragons stuttering to me was one dragon that I thankfully overcame. And I use the overcame very cautiously because once you're a stutterer, you're always, it's always there. You just learn to deal with it. And I've been, I've been able to deal with it, although there are many people who continue having this disfluency. And that's another area that really merits understanding because there are people who say, oh, you don't speak well, therefore you're not intelligent. Mm. Oh, you have a stutter. There must be something missing up here. Why can't you get the words out? Mm. Or you speak with an accent. Can't you speak English correctly? You see, there's all of these ways that we create, whether it's intentional or not, barriers to understanding each other and barriers to our own ability to express our ideas. Mm, it's uh, it just incredible what you just uh, reminded me of. Man, several conversations, uh, you know, related to different topics. That it is the construct that sometimes we put on ourselves and people who are close to us and other people that makes communication unnecessarily difficult. Uh, and one thing I want to kind of dive in because I happen, you know, my dad, my own father happened to have um, stuttering his whole life. And I believe it started when he was young and even before my mom met him. And, you know, he's passed away about, you know, 12 years ago. So we we never really sat down, never really fully understood what it was about. It was I think it was kind of a, a challenging situation that we just never really talked about because I remember going to school and my friends were talking about the fact that my dad stuttered and they were all trying to guess how it happened. Was he in a shock? Like what he, you know, what, what did he eat when he was growing up? It was all these like misconceptions. And for a st you know, stunning reasons, my dad was also very much of a like a public speaker figure. And whenever he spoke publicly, he had no issues. He never stuttered. But when mm -hmm. he's home and when he's with his friends, he did it more so. I wonder if you could shed some light on that for me. Nobody ever did. There is now, thankfully, because of there's a movement to, to, to raise awareness about this, this language disfluency. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an impediment if you choose to make it such. But let's say that it's, it's just a different way of speaking. But there's a, a rising consciousness about the fact that some people stutter. Our current president, Joe Biden, God bless him, he rather unwittingly sort of put it on the radar because he... Mm -hmm publicly has, has, you know, explained his whole history with it and how his sister helped him sort of pushed him to the edge, you know, of, of, of being a public figure and, and, and running for Senate and where he would need to use oratory, obviously to, to do his job. And so he has made it, he's rather normalized it to some extent, mm -hmm. but as far as what brings it about, there is scientific research, of course, that says that, you know, from vocal um, voice coaches that it starts at, at, at young child, you know, age when we're first learning to speak and that we sort of grow out of it mm -hmm. as we mature. Some people don't grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Some people uh, have more of a psychological trauma um, infused experience mm -hmm. with 
stuttering, which was what happened to me. Although there are some scientists, behavioral scientists who say, no, it's neurological. It's the way your brain is wired. So there's a lot of, of still this nebulous area as to what brings it on. The point is that there are probably close to 2% of people on the planet who, who have a self-reported, uh, I, I know sort of a, a, the, 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 the characteristic of their speech is, is, is tainted by the stuttering. And mm-hmm. it's tainted because that's the way it's perceived, that it's not a good thing. Mm. You can say, oh, your accent is charming. Oh, where are you from? But when someone stumbles on a word, it's like jarring, like get it mm. out. Let it, you know, or, or worse, saying the word for the person, filling mm. the blank. So the, the concept of that delay and how it breaks from our patterns of, of verbal communication is something people need to understand that people have different speech patterns. Mm-hmm. So where, where does it start? I'm not an expert on, on stuttering from the point of view of its, you know, it's the, the, the behavioral patterns, the neurological factors, but I can tell you my story. Mm-hmm. And my story is that I wasn't born that way when I was raised, being raised in Cuba, came to this country at the age of seven and a half. I didn't stutter. Of course, I only spoke one language that was Spanish. But as I started to live the experience of, of an immigrant and developed a bilingual brain mm-hmm. and lived away from home in boarding schools, that's where there was born in me this this enormous ball of doubt. And the trauma of being separated from my family, being in a new culture, being, you know, being really in a totally exile environment, you know, that was totally foreign to me, that, that traumatized me to the point where uh, as I got into my teens, I was really unable to speak. However, when I was asked to read a passage in English class, for example, I was able to read. I was able to read just like you described with your with your father in, a, in an oratory setting. He was able to speak fluently and without uh, any um, verbal tics. But in my case, I wasn't able to have a conversation, uh, playground conversation, you know, among girlfriends. I and I I went into a shell and I withdrew. Mm-hmm. And I found my voice in writing. In writing, I was the editor of the school paper and the and the high school yearbook. And then in college, I was the editor of the of the college newspaper and developed really uh, what has served me to this day a very very strong uh, ability for written communication. But it was where I broke out of or started to to train myself out of it. Vocal therapy didn't didn't voice therapy didn't help me very much at all. The exercises, mm-hmm. the breathing, all of that is good, you know, to be able to to use your vocal toolbox better. But mm-hmm. it was doing college radio that was part of my the requirement for my major of broadcast communication. That when I had to do live radio, and there's this microphone in this, you know, this this cabin in a radio station and I have a guest in front of me and I have to speak into that microphone without stumbling, Mm -hmm. no stammer, no tripping over words. I had to enunciate and articulate as a broadcaster. And I found that that immediacy, 
that spur, you know, that electrical charge that went through my body saying, this is life or death. I have to do this right because there's people listening. There's people, I can't take it back. This is it. This is live. And that, that helped. And so that opened up a career in broadcasting. Although still in my private conversations, I still would fall back into some of those patterns. Wow. I mean, there's something to, to break down here. Um, and before I kind of go into, I mean, I have a question just like the, the tip of my tongue to ask you, given your, your history and what you have lived through, knowing that stuttering is something that you're trying to, you know, either not overcome, maybe is not the word, but trying to manage even as a young child and then majoring broadcast and communications in college. Like, what was that decision like to say, I want to study that. I want to be on camera speaking into a microphone. What, what was, yeah. What went through your head? It's funny because when I was uh, maybe in my early adolescence, uh, at 11 or 12 years old, mm -hmm. I had an imaginary persona. After coming home from school, when I was alone, I was sort of a latchkey kid for a long time. And I had this, I, was, I would imitate what the broadcasters were doing. I would take, I would play newscaster. I would talk to my dolls. I would talk to these, you know, these imaginary friends as if I was doing a speech, I was saying something important. And I don't remember what it was, but the rhetoric was just like ongoing. I just didn't loved it. Mm -hmm. And little did I know, I think that I was sort of anticipating uh, what I would be doing much later in life. You know, I not only did some television, a lot of television, but I also was spokesperson for many companies. So there was a lot at stake there. And I remember that I so enjoyed it, but yet I wasn't drawn to the theater arts or to the performing arts. I was, I was really drawn to, uh, to broadcast journalism and to uh, public speaking. But uh, that, I sort of played that out. I role played and I listened carefully and I imitated the speech patterns of people who were on television. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm smiling because I have literally recorded, you know, at this point, 350 episodes of the podcast. And during which I have also mentioned as an only child coming home, I still remember third, fourth, fifth grade, I would literally line up my stuffed animals in my bedroom. And then there are the audience and I will be giving okay. a, a telling stories. And I remember how embarrassing it was when one of my friends showed up, my parents didn't tell me, I remember he or she walked into the room and said, who are you, who are you talking to? So also, did you grow up as an only child as well, Rosemary? I was an only child until I was 11. Then my brother was born. Oh, wow. And, and I was still an only child because obviously in his the first few years of his life, you know, he was a baby that I, I helped to care for. Mm. Uh, so we we didn't have, we weren't, you know, we weren't friends mm. until much later. Uh, but yes, I did grow up as an only child. Wow. Did you place him yeah. with a stuffed animal and be like, you're now part of the audience? I just imagine how cute that would be. Uh, yeah, although he wasn't really very interested in what I had to say at that time. <laughs> this is so cute. I, we have one comment. Uh, someone also said, uh, I'm the brown. Uh, I'm, my stuttering only happens when, I, when I've talked for a while. And I've only, it, it's like my mouth was on a time clock. I noticed the same thing with my dad. It's like, it's okay. And all of a sudden he goes into a, a different pattern altogether. Hmm. Uh, That's interesting. I, hmm. I can only hypothesize that maybe it's because you start to think too much about what you're saying. 
become very self-conscious. It's and and that's again one one of those dragons that as you start to speak and you're enthusiastic and then maybe you're not getting the reaction from people who are listening that you would like, or you're not getting the smiles or the head nods or the acknowledgement. Mm. You start to, I'm I'm just guessing, because I I've been there. And you start to wonder, am I am I doing this right? Are people interested in what I have to say? And then you start to that worry, that worry machine starts to, 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 to it turns on. And I think that that, that could be a factor of what other people perceive because really the big, 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 they're, they're, they're sort of the, the big elephant in the room for public speaking is that most people are afraid, not afraid because I think, which is a foolish notion that people fear speaking more than they fear death. I think whoever did that survey probably asked the wrong questions, but people do. I think that the statistics are that maybe 70% of people on the planet report some form of performance anxiety. And that Mm -hmm. could translate into fear of what people are going to think of you. So make that maybe more granular, you know, basically rejection. You know, that you're not going to be accepted. People aren't going to love you because of what you're saying and how you're saying it. And that's from a hierarchy of needs, I think, much more, much more uh, easy to easier to compute than than that, you know, that people you know prefer to die than to be in a casket, I think, is a. Uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, people prefer to be in a casket than to be the one giving the eulogy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a great joke. So the, the, the point being that, that the fear kicks in and then what happens your mouth gets a little dry, your tongue gets a little thicker and your vocal cords become more constrained and more tight and you know, tighter. And so what happens then all of these wonderful muscles and ligaments and such that we use and the breath that we take to make the sounds start to get a little more constricted, tighter, more difficult, less fluid, less relaxed. And that also contributes to the stuttering. Wow. Uh, you know, on the Brown, actually confirm what you just said. It's like our mental model of keeping people interested or is this even worthy? And I have to say that like one of the things, Rosemary, I've been training myself since 2020 is to instead of imagine uh, an audience now we're going like I've been going live since 2020 with all my guests the one of the reasons is because I want to share the conversations much sooner rather than waiting for a producer and editor to release it and something goes wrong two weeks later because I just feel like if I can engage with people helping one person today is good enough and I try to think about the fact that I don't want to be influenced or triggered by there's a number for those who those of you who are watching live. You don't know this, but you know, we can actually stare into a number of how many people are watching live. It says three right now, which is probably partial because we don't see everybody. And as a number goes down, sometimes I feel my heart is like, oh, it's because I'm talking for too long, not letting the guests speak. It's so important now I've trained myself to not just to have thick skin, but also to realize that I don't want to be our conversation shouldn't be dependent on the live audience and other people can also find it helpful. But for me, like that mental model to train myself to speak into an empty room and feel like there's still power in my voice, I still want to contribute is really helpful. So thank you for clarifying that. Yes. If I could build on what you said, which is so important in this hybrid world that we live in, and we're going to continue interacting, I think in equal measure in person, in real life, 
as we are interacting on video conferencing or platforms like this one, is that we need to be able to toggle back and forth and understand that the audience on the screen is, is just as just as engaged as the ones in real life. It's up to us to then adapt somewhat to the dynamics, to the modality that we're in. And I, I reflect back on the first video meeting that I organized. It was it was really it, the the content that I was sharing was how to survive on Zoom, how to do how to speak effectively, how to conduct good meetings, how to how to uh, show your leadership on Zoom. And so I created a whole curriculum based on that. But I remember the first time that I shared it publicly, and I'm looking at my screen. And people, they're not nodding. There's no smile. There's no expression. Or some of them weren't, most of them weren't even on. They didn't have their videos on. And I'm saying, I'm talking to myself. Does anybody care? Is there anybody out there? <laughs> and because I hadn't really tested this material yet, I was still developing it. And it was such a, a sense of like, I want to abort this. I want out. Oh, forget. I hope maybe there's a power outage and I don't have to continue because I feel so horrible. But yet we scaled to 45 minutes and it's only five minutes in, but like I'm I'm lost already. So it took a, a lot of patience to understand that it's very different. But that then afterwards, people were writing and commenting. Oh, it was so amazing. I loved it. When are you doing the next one? So you see, we it's our own in own heads talking, you know, in, in a negative way, because if we have that, that nature, which I have of, of really being very self-critical and very perfectionist and, and needing to be validated often and needing that feedback and not getting it immediately, then leads us to think, oh no, I'm not worthy or nobody wants to hear. And so mm-hmm. obviously all of our energy is zapped at that point. Mm. I want to build on this. This is so fascinating because what you have just said to me also translates really well into uh, not just podcasting, video production, but also writing and communication overall. I think because I came here at at the age of 17, frankly, I pretty much struggled through learning English. I mean, regular college level English classes. And, uh, you know, it was just such a joke. I would be given these books and I'm supposed to finish within two weeks and near, you know, near at the end of the two weeks, I'm barely going through some chapters. And I, you know, I have surrounded myself with friends, you know, living in Boston, a lot of people from literally from MIT, Harvard, grew up speaking English fluently. And I remember the articles and things that they would talk about and share with me were really intimidating because I, I would have to pause every time I read a paragraph. However, now in the past five to 10 years as a content creator online, I couldn't even lie about, I couldn't even like use these fancy words to really express myself. Even when I knew like what they meant, it was hard for me to incorporate them into the writing that I want to achieve, like the, the meaning behind my work. And after watching some of your videos and your teaching, Rosemary, I finally realized that when I speak with the ums and ahs, with the choices of simple words, they actually had more power, that I have more control and my listeners, viewers have, have more control. So that was such an uh, you know, eye-opening moment. Could you maybe elaborate on that and, and help people understand maybe the misconceptions uh, of communication? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I love that question. 
there's so many uh, of the people I coach privately. So I do small teams, I do corporate work, and I do individual work. I really love the individual, the one-on-one, because there's a sense of intimacy that's built with the person I'm coaching. And there's most often an end goal, like someone's doing uh, a conference or doing a panel or doing a podcast interview. And so we have something to work towards. Most often, the first question I'm asked during the get acquainted meeting is, oh, I want to get rid of my filler words. I want to eradicate my ahs, ums, you know, like. And I said, okay, but that should not be the, that's not the objective of this. If you're using them with too much frequency, then that can be a hindrance. But let's work on what you really have to say, because the fact that you are using these uh, uh, these these verbal ticks, these uh, unnecessary sounds, is is a is a factor of you're not being clear in what you want to say, and who your what your most importantly what your audience needs to hear from you, mm-hmm. and how you are serving your audience, because that is fundamental. You can talk all day. I can talk to my dolls. You can talk to your stuffed animals, but they haven't told us what they need from us because they can't talk. So what does, if you're doing a a business presentation, there's an expectation from the other side, you know, that you're going to give them a solution, right? An inside uh, illuminating thought. You're going to give them, you know, something that they need to respond to and, and they will help them do their jobs better. So that, that's so important. So it isn't just the mechanics. The mechanics are important, but sometimes people get so stuck on the mechanics of oratory that they forget to think about the content, the value that they're bringing. Mm. And speaking wedge of the, the value, something that I've learned from your resources and lessons is our body language. And I think sometimes a lot of us will go on stage and we'll just freeze. And frankly, even for me to sit right here facing my camera for a lot of my YouTube videos, which I've done hundreds of them since 2019, I still struggle to, to know where to place my hands. Sometimes I realize, are they too low? Are they actually not on camera? Are they too high? Am I getting tired? Can I hold my script somewhere? Uh, what do I do when I don't have a script? So could you maybe show us some basics like incorporating our body movements as we're communicating our ideas? Oh, it there is, well, we could go hours and I know you know that I've done several videos and still more to be done. I'm only I'm only limited by the fact that my uh that when I'm working in my home studio, I only have so much depth. And so there's the 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 shot possibilities are more limited, but you, you might be, you might like to hear this. I'm going to sort of leash out and start doing some, some recordings outside outdoors. So I have a lot of room to move. Okay. Because the body is, is essential. It's, it's in some cases more than two thirds of everything that people receive from us. And let me break that down. There's the words that we use. Then there's the sounds that we make and our intonation, rate of speech, volume, and then there's everything else, the body language, the facial expressions, the smile, the nodding, the breath, intake breath, the pauses, that the lack of sound is just as important as making a sound. So it is, it is, it has been proven that the by by and large, most of the actual interchange or exchange of information happens without the words. 
Hence, video conferencing became so it became so vital for people to actually learn how to sit in front of the camera and interact because most of the 90% of what people were taking in was video because that's the 90-10 formula given they were in that two-dimensional world of only having sight and sound. And we can't, there's no, there's no taste or there's no smell. There's all those other senses are, are unavailable to us when we're doing video. But the point is that you need to just work everything. Everything is part of your toolbox. So hands are, are where it starts. Right. And there's culturally in some parts of the world, hands are more right part of the every syllable you say and others. They're more muted. But the, the point is to use them and know what certain things mean. Uh, for example, if I were to do uh, this in this manner and I wanted to make an important point, that's almost like giving it an exclamation mark. Right. Just with the thumb up like this. Mm -hmm. So you don't keep this up. For very long because if you're doing this then it sounds like you're an you're imposing right you're you're angry but it's simply a little accent mark or if you're doing a series of, of things you're enumerating something if i said Faye, i have three important points to share with your listeners i have number one and i have number two and number three so by using your digits to enumerate you're also helping people follow along do you remember it, well, this is this is a long time ago when there were cartoons that had follow the bouncing ball, mm. and it would be like the lyrics to a song, and the little bouncing ball would take you. Well, consider that your hands are like the little bouncing ball. Mm. I want to take you from one idea, from one extreme to the other. I want to take you from from poor to great, right? My hand is is marking those steps that you have to take. And similarly, if you want to go from, you know, high, whoop, I mean, the, okay, high to low, mm -hmm. also use it to say, you know, that the, the highest potential you have is this. And if you stay down in the mundane, mediocre area, this is not the kind of speaker you want to be, but let's work to get you to your highest potential when you speak. So all these are small things that are part of our arsenal mm -hmm. and that we take for granted. Certainly it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm going to sit, you know, cross-armed because I don't know what to do with my arms or my hands. So I'll be safe. I'll just do this, right? Mm -hmm. Put them in your pocket <laughs> because, oh, I don't know what to do with my hands. So I'll just put them in my pocket. So all these things that we default to because we haven't learned how to use all of our assets. I call them assets because they're, they're yeah, they're, it's all part of our vocabulary. Hmm. It, it's so interesting because I want people to be aware of the fact that you are working with a vertical or like a portrait screen right now, as opposed to something that I could have done this. But Rosemary is very clear, very aware of, you know, some some level of spatial awareness. Some people don't. And I have seen people, as you know, on Zoom, completely unaware of where they are, how they're being placed. They're gesturing something that people simply can't see. So sometimes especially when you go live stream or create uh online content you do have limited real estate to work with yes. um but it's so natural to you uh that seems like 
And do you practice, Rosemary? What are some of the things that people can practice? Let's say they need to go on stage, keynote speakers in the making, or somebody who's presenting something for the first time. I know a lot of college students are trying to learn that because now it's part of their thesis or you know their finals. Um, and and I also work with some of the doctors uh, who realize that you know their interpersonal skills are not optional, and they really have to learn how to how to do this and yes. be kind. Yeah. It starts with using the tools that we have right here, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's we can record ourselves anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, record yourself. Rec if you don't want to or you don't need to record your image, record your voice. Mm -hmm. There are a multitude of different ways of recording your video. Now it's, it's readily available in not only Zoom, but countless other ways of recording yourself just for practice mm -hmm. and, and start to love the way you sound. That's a big one. Most people don't like the sound of their voices. And it, because our voices, when we're in a recorded mode, it sounds a little different, right? It's mm -hmm. never really as if we're listening to ourselves in our own heads right? yeah, or because it's all environmental. Right. It's it's the sound I hear right now is going through my ears and through certain chambers and resonating. It's resonating in the room that I'm in. But when you're transmitting through a microphone, it's being it's being somewhat um, I say altered. And then depending on how it's perceived at the other end, what kind of speaker the person has, the listener, that's also altered. So there's all these different variables. But the point being that just hear yourself hear your intonation, your rate of speech. Listen to the way you say certain words or phrases. There might be some words that come a little bit uh, easier than others. Mm -hmm. Some that you might want to substitute. And this I say to some of my clients who are not native English speakers. I'm not an accent reduction coach, but I can tell you that if you have a 10 syllable word that you're stumbling with because somebody else wrote it for you in your speech, feel perfectly at ease in replacing it with one or two other words that say the same thing mm -hmm. that just come more, more, more comfortable to your tongue. Yeah. So we have, we, and then when we listen to ourselves, we hear that I was doing a, um, a recording uh, for a friend who was doing an audiobook in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I caught myself clipping my S's, which is a very Cuban mm -hmm. thing to do. And I'm saying, ah, I wasn't aware that I'm clipping my S's. I don't want to sound Cuban. Besides, I need to be really very, uh, very neutral. Have a, a you know a reading that's very neutral that doesn't identify me with, with any nationality. But I didn't realize that I was clipping my S's, and was, oh, I was horrified. Now I really have to pronounce the S's casas <laughs> at the end. And so this self-correcting, but you have to be comfortable doing that because no matter who you're talking to, an audience of one or an audience of 10,000, you have to feel comfortable with the sound of your voice. How do we avoid self-judgment, self-sabotage uh, to a degree? Because I have felt that uh, as an immigrant, a lot of people are like, oh, you sound like you're from California. Well, I never even know that you're originally grew up, you know, in Beijing, China. And I know that I've had an easier time, but still I remember, to be quite honest, like even for my own journey, and I cannot imagine other people really, really struggle to learn English, such as like my mom. Uh, when people, when people who speak English as a second or third language make a mistake, obviously that's natural. But what can we um, do to our self-talk to not 
self-sabotage and to be able to move on? You have to be, have a sense of humor <laughs> and to know that if you've made a mistake, people in the audience can relate to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just used the wrong word. Have, have any of you ever done that before? And, and, and have that, that can be a moment of connection. But if you freeze up and go into your, uh, you know, this, this protective ball of shame, you're not serving anyone. You're not serving yourself. And then you, you, you're rather, because you're condemning yourself to failure for anything that happens afterward. So it's just letting it, letting just, you know, just roll off your back and your audience will love you for it. You know, there might be a moment of humor or in some cases, um, a, a speaker will forget, oh, where was I? Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me, let me pick up where I left off. Or you know what? Let me skip that part altogether and take you to the next section. So mm -hmm. you sort of make it playful because this is live and people are there to listen to you live. Otherwise they can just, you know, call up one of your YouTube videos and where it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Consider it a, I never thought about it as a moment of connection and it's absolutely true. Like when we, when we drop something, when we, even when we get hurt and when we, you know, that's really a, a, the power of vulnerability. So yes. uh, I realized that I have never, I mean, we, we chatted a number of times and I never really had the opportunity to, to ask you to really explain and talk about how you work with people. So I see, as you mentioned, two groups, so individuals, individual entrepreneurs, maybe creators, and the other group are, you know, medium to even enterprise companies. Could you maybe give us like a breakdown of like how, who would be an ideal client, especially people who are watching this right now? Uh, what is it like to work with Rosemary? Oh, I do. Perhaps I need to narrow it down a little bit, Faye, uh, because I do a lot of different things. I work with large corporations, multinational corporations with their teams, their remote teams who need uh, uh, to improve to up level their performance on video because now they are being expected now after more than two years that we've been working uh, not only remotely, but on video conferencing, that there's an expectation that you have to really get it now, that you have to have a, a level of skill and, um, and, and not only etiquette, but skill and comfort and ease when you turn on your camera, if you're talking to a colleague, a peer, a superior, or to a client or customer. And so I work with small teams, really working on not only their, the mechanics of their virtual presence, executive presence, all the things that go into that perception of trust, reliability, and competence, but also the mechanics of, of sharing screen, sharing information, collaboration through whiteboard or whatever other devices are built into the platform, how to run a meeting, how to make a meeting uh, shorter, engaging, less taxing, how to work in uh, moments of engagement and then of, of, of a pause or change the tempo and the, the, the run of show uh, in, in essence of a meeting, which needs to be different than it would be in person. So I work with small teams from multinational companies and I do this in English and Spanish. And then I would be working with, right now I'm also working with a, uh, with a conference with a major national organization doing a conference here in Miami, helping them not only scripting their main stage speeches, but working with their presenters and their executives on the delivery of those messages. So working in a, in a, in a forum or a conference setting from a stage, doing both live to the audience 
they are gathered as well as streaming to different parts. So helping them with their, their content as well as delivery. And then, as I said earlier, my favorite part is working with individuals. So I might work with a CTO uh, or CFO more recently of, of a major company who has trusted me to help her, in many cases as a woman, uh, do a better um, annual meeting, all employee meeting, uh, do a press conference, do a, do a podcast, Mm-hmm. Uh, do a panel. Someone recently said, I, a CTO said, I've never done a panel. Uh, uh, help me, you know, feel more confident. How do I organize what I want to say? How do I interact with other panelists? So we'll work together uh, across several sessions to, to, to have that person feel comfortable and roll with whatever may change. You know, sometimes you, you're doing a panel and you get shortchanged on time mm-hmm. and there's, oh, we run out of time. And you had three things you wanted to say, how to navigate that and how to work with the moderator and you know, to make sure you get your points across. And then there's uh, and another thing that I've done recently is work with students, uh, with uh, aspiring students who are applying for scholarships or who are being considered for uh, internships abroad, where there's a lot of competition. And it could be someone who's uh, 16 years old and who's you know, there's a certain generation Z grew up with a mobile device and grew up on video. But when it comes to speaking from their heart and speaking for themselves, it's challenging. So I enjoy working with a young aspiring talent to give them some fundamentals that they can use later in life. Wow, this is so interesting. Uh, how do the sessions work? Uh, how early would you prefer to um, to engage with a client? Because sometimes I know it's not really up to us as a consultant. Sometimes literally I have gotten emails, Faye, the huge webinar is tomorrow. Could you help us? Of course, I would much prefer that we had weeks leading into this. So could you give us an idea of when would be ideal to engage with you? Yes. I would say if the moment that you were invited, let's say take a panel uh, presentation, the minute you receive the invitation and you accept that invitation, if you are feeling overwhelmed, you don't have time to prepare and, or you never done, you never did one before, uh, or uh, this is a make or break thing where you're representing your company in a very high stakes environment, then call me early because at that point I can help you with the crafting of the messages and the talking points. If it's very late, I really can't participate in that because it's, it's, it's already, it's already too late. I can rehearse with you and give you pointers right, you know, towards the last hours leading into the event, but I can't help you create something that's truly your own. Mm -hmm. That's in your words, but still incorporates the corporate messaging, but that you're delivering it in your words. So I'd say as soon as you uh, accept uh, an invitation to appear in public or participate in an electronic forum and three sessions minimum, Mm -hmm. one to create the work plan and to ascertain where the time needs to be spent. Is it in creating the content first? Is it in rehearsing? Uh, And then the second session is is sort of a pre-event rehearsal of sorts. There's a lot of exchange in the interim. I record the sessions. I provide uh, a coaching report for every session. And this is what you need to work on. Or why don't you re-record record this part and put it on the on the drive? Let me see it. I'll critique it. Most people don't do their homework. 
but it's a factor of time. And then we'll do the, our last session close to the actual date mm-hmm. uh, and just do a full run through. And in some cases, I'll do a, you know, a, a FaceTime before that person goes on stage. Hey, how do you feel? Uh, you, do you know, do you have your note cards or uh, what did you wear? What did you choose to wear today? Uh, and, and, and really be the coach almost on site to ensure that person's success. Wow. Yeah. I, I so love the fact that you brought up outfits because Rosemary's actually has a series of videos on her YouTube channel about what to wear. And it comes completely on point, especially my limited knowledge is from limited experience working my documentary, but not wearing busy patterns, comfortable mm-hmm. clothing, things that won't show through, especially when you're sweating around your armpits and things like that. It, it's so, and then lapel mic that needs to be clipped on. I learned that it's so interesting that for men, mostly when they wear those tight shirts, because since they don't have cleavage, uh, <laughs> you know, it's much harder to have that space, yeah. that gap. Never thought about any of those things before. Um, but as you were talking about the way that you work with clients, I thought about something else, which is the fact that for a lot of people who are watching this now or later, there, there are people still limiting their services as consult, you know, consultants, freelancers to be in person. Whereas, you know, we can do so much as we are nowhere near each other and we'll be able to record this. So are you able to work with clients in person as well as on yes. Zoom to achieve? Yes, 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 most definitely. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately what I enjoy most. I've had the pleasure in the last year to do both. You know, to do, I like to do the first, if it's someone within a reasonable um, reach, like an hour, an hour and a half of where I live, uh, to go there and do the first session in person to really establish the warmth and the connection. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we can move to uh, to, to virtual mm-hmm. and, and then continue our work that way. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and also, I, I like to get a sense, sometimes it's a, you learn so much about the person's space, the workspace mm-hmm. and the corporate culture. There's so much information that's available environmentally that you don't always pick up when you're on video. So true. Yeah, absolutely. For someone who's far away, that's a good idea. Like if someone is in California or in Boston who wants to work with you, uh, I think I've asked clients to do the same, taking pictures of their work Mm -hmm. environment or simply shoot videos so I know where the corners are, what they're working with, and asking to record those sample videos where I can hear how echoey it is. Are they really using the right setup? Um, there's just, there, there's so many hidden gems. Um, and I hope really people can take pointers, but, um, if you guys are hopping on right now, absolutely encourage you to check out Rosemary's website is Ravenel's R-A-V-I-N-A-L.com. So definitely check it out. There's so much, you know, their workbooks, their resources and their chats, and you can, you can schedule to meet with uh, Rosemary directly. Um, this is fantastic. So before we conclude, are there some things that there's so many tips on your site, on your YouTube channel, I, I want people to check out, but things that you want to leave people with, things that you want to talk about, we haven't had a chance to go over? Yes. I want to encourage everyone to, 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 to take their speaking seriously, to understand that the power of the voice is enormous and that we need to, you know, we're, we are overwhelmed with information, but we are very short on understanding. And the understanding comes from being able to not only speak, but to listen. The other half of the equation is to speak, but also to learn how to listen. 
and how to make room for different points of view and different styles of speaking. So it is, it is a dynamic, it is circular. It is not one way. And then the other point, Faye, is important is for aspiring speakers, people who come to me at a, at a conference and say, oh, I need to improve my public speaking. Well, yes, certainly you can hire me or you can just speak at every opportunity. Speak to the Girl Scout troop, speak to the, uh, to the, in the local church or synagogue or whatever your faith organization is or your, your Rotary Club or uh, speak to the uh, community association. Speak up at a meeting. Go to a, a city commission meeting and ask a question. Put your name on the, on the list of, of, um, of uh, concerned citizens and ask your question live. Speak at every opportunity. Speak when you're and speak when you're afraid. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. And you'll see, you'll see sort of the skies opening up and you'll say, oh, I did that. I did it. I did it. And, and the sense of accomplishment is huge. Oh, I, I absolutely love this. I know I should like close on the perfect moment for, for so many of you who are watching right now and later. I just have to say that even for us going live stream right now, you know, growing up, I thought people on stage, they're in like their perfect zone of genius. Everything just feels right. Everything clicked. Oftentimes it's not the case. Like even when we conduct these sessions, sometimes we don't have a good night's sleep. You know, there's a huge pimple on our face. Our hair just not feeling right, not looking right. And don't let any of those things get in the way because what, you know, everything we see is so magnified how we look, how we sound, but so many times that other people won't notice at all. Like, why are we doing this? Indeed. If you're doing video conferencing, please turn on your camera. Otherwise you're not even present. Mm. Don't count. You know, mm. it's, it's why bother? I mean, yes, certain, if you're doing a webinar and, and you're, then you, it doesn't really matter because uh, you, you can't, can only interact. Well, I wish I could see everybody who's, who's, made a comment or asked a question, but this is not that kind of, a, of an environment. But if it is a meeting where you do have an opportunity to raise your hand, make a comment live, or at least even with your rectangle, well-composed, well-lit, say, I'm present, I'm interested, I'm, 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 I'm enthusiastic about this topic, it goes a long way. Yeah, I, I love that. And also, as you know, Rosemary, like, especially when you go to a bigger Zoom meeting, like 40, 50, 100 people, when most of the people have their cameras and videos turned off, but you have yours turned on, your video is actually going to be towards the beginning, of, like on the first screen, and you're closer to the host, especially if that's networking. What's the point? Turn on your uh, camera. Don't worry about, don't feel ashamed if your background is not perfect. Uh, you know, you may be sitting in a basement or your bed hasn't been made. Make the bed and and just, you know, just relax and just connect with one another. Yes. Um, so with that said, thank you. Let me jump in yeah. on that because we may be out of time, but it's no, no, so no. important. When you, when you're, even if you cannot turn on your camera. Imagine, and I'm sure it's happened to many of people who are listening. You put your, your name in the chat, right? And you ask mm -hmm. a question. And then the host will say, oh, Faye from Boston has a question. Hello, Faye. And you feel, oh, they're, they're acknowledging me. So it, it's a tiny thing to do. Just say, don't stay silent. Mm -hmm. Use whatever means is given to you to say, I'm present. I matter. I count. I'm thinking. I'm engaged. Any, whatever you're given, use it.
because it it just I know how I, I feel when, when I hear my name. Oh, Rosemary from Miami has a question. And it's a great question. Oh, what do you think? And then it's like, I feel like I've been, been invited to the party. Mm, wow. Right? This is so lovely. You know, one thing before we conclude, I like to chat a, a little bit, which is I notice, um, Rosemary, as you listed, you're born or raised in um, Cuba. Or is that right? I was I was born in Cuba. I came when I was seven and a half. I was really raised in uh, suburban New York. That's what kind of uh, I found really interesting going from Cuba to New York. And you were there until around like 2000. So you, yeah. you grew up there. And what was what was it like? And you mentioned private school. So I never I just wonder what like the, the young Rosemary was like walking around it, in suburban New York. It was it was not pleasant. It was not pleasant because particularly my my family, for many reasons, went to a community where we were for many, many years, the only Spanish speaking family. So you can imagine uh, I was bullied. I was the Spanish girl. I was different. Uh, and, and then I had to stutter on top of that. So there, there was a great deal of bullying that I had to endure uh, mm -hmm. because we, we were different. I was different. And that, uh, that, that wasn't fun in, in boarding school. That was, that was even worse because I was the only one uh, in my cohort who did not speak a word of English. So it was it was difficult. It was difficult. It, it's, of course, all these things we can repurpose, we can use as experiences that can certainly illuminate my coaching, because I do have a, a sense of, of of having lived experience with that resonates with many of the people that I try to help. Wow, incredible. And uh, one of my guests once said, don't, um, don't fear the pain and don't waste the pain. Yes. Uh, after losing his brother to young brother to cancer, I realized that our lived experiences, including the suffering, and everybody has suffered, can really empower, and I love the word illuminate, the work we're doing to relate to people who work with us. Uh, this is fantastic. And um, let's see. <laughs> I'm sure all those people wish they were friends with. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, connect with me. Connect with me uh, on my website. You can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. Uh, this next week is going to be a video newsletter, video lesson. And I put something out of, I hope, value every every week. It's my commitment to the people in my inner circle. So join the inner circle. Join the inner circle. Check out rosemaryravenel.com. I absolutely love your newsletter. I'm also a subscriber. It's such a carefully, thoughtfully uh, curated list of resources. And your voice is in, always in the mix. It's always so important, right? There's nothing generic. And I appreciate your work and your service to all of us. And thank you so much for everyone who watched this video. And we appreciate you. Even if you're listening, watching this at a later time, please send us questions, connect with Rev, you know, Rosemary uh, at any time. Thank you so much. I'm going to take us offline now. Bye. <laughs>